So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. You know how you always point out my flaws all the time, Grim? <laughs> right? And like, I don't see them, but you're very, very hyper aware and you see them and you call them And out. it's a better world because of that, Carol. Yes, if right, no one ever mentioned my, these things, exactly. we'd never progress, would we? Thank we'd never God get better. for you. So, yeah, I agree. Thank anyway, God I, for both of you. Good grief. <laughs> I'm having to mediate already, listeners. Smashing Security, Episode 145, Apple and Google Willy Wave While Home Assistant Spy, Doe, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 145. My name is Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And we're joined this week by a returning guest, it's web security journalist John Layden. Hello, John, how are you? I'm very good. How are you, Excellent. Graham? Oh, you know, I've been better, but no, I'm serious. I'm, fi- I'm fine. I'm You're all right. You're not I'm all right. fine. What's wrong? This has been what? going on for a week, everybody. Oh, Seriously, goodness. I've talked to him a number of times, and this is the tone. I'm like, hey, Crawl. And he's upset with me. He, he blames me. And mm, Graham, tell them. Not completely. <laughs> tell them what happened. Well, I was in the shower. And as you know, I listen to podcasts in the shower, not with earphones. I I put my phone up on a little ledge uh, out of the way of the water. In the steam. And yes, in the, in the hot, hot steam of my shower. <laughs> and uh, uh, let's not paint too much of a picture. And, um, and then suddenly my phone sort of went... A phone call. Right, a phone call. But in f- specifically, the noise of someone FaceTiming me. And, um, with video. This has happened and, before. Uh, well, we have had problems before with my phone in the shower, randomly FaceTiming. This is still your phone this in the shower. Still, yes, but on this right. occasion, it was you FaceTime videoing, not FaceTime audio. Why you would ever crawl? Okay, let me give my side. So, uh, the day before, I've made friends with Robin. I wanted to show Graham my little... <laughs> I wanted to show Graham my little friend Robin, right? And I put it on FaceTime and called him so he could see my Robin friend. I think you should make clear that you're talking about Robin as in a bird rather than something else, right? Yes. Not not a bird woman. Like a little a little, a little fly thing. Cause, it's not yes. some imaginary human it's friend a little bird. that you've made. It's yes, a little it's bird. a little bird. It's a really exactly. tiny little cute bird that we're, I'm making friends ah. with. Okay. Anyway, and whatever, it didn't work out, forgot about it. Next day when I'm calling him just about podcast stuff, 
I pressed the FaceTime because that's at the top of the list. It's the last phone call I made on FaceTime. Normally I call FaceTime mm. audio, but mm. no, goes into video mode. So there I am about to call Graham and it's like nine. I don't want to be on video either. Assure you, okay? <laughs> I do not want to be on video. So I try and cancel the call, but no, my phone goes into freeze mode. And there was no exit button. So then I'm pressing dramatically, very quickly, trying to turn the whole phone off, the system off by keeping the shut off button on for five seconds and then to swipe off. But meanwhile, I'm trying to cancel the call as well with my wet fingers, all covered in soap in the shower, whereupon the phone slips out of my hand, falls down. (laughs) into the tray of the shower with the camera facing upwards at my body. (laughs) I love that you thought I would look at that. (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, what do I do now? What exactly am I broadcasting to Carole at this point? Graham, pinky swear I would always avert my eyes in that situation. Anyway. You can count on me. um, My phone has not been the same since. In fact, I've not been the same since either. (laughs) And the phone is no longer working. And so... Anyway, I'm not completely blaming you, Carol. Did you put it in with some dried rice to uh, try To be honest, John, it's, it's not so much a... I don't actually think it's a water He's issue. talking about your phone, Graham. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for that, Carol. <laughs> Carol, what's coming up on the show this week? Thanks to this week's sponsors, LastPass, Recorded Future, and Meta Compliance. Their support helps us give you this show for free. Now, on today's show, Graham talks about Apple vulnerabilities. John will be making sense of the following acronyms, DNS over HTTPS or DOH. And I will be revisiting the land of smart assistants. Is it time for Graham and I to give in and get one? All this and loads more no. on this epic show of Smashing Security. Just no. wait! <laughs> now, fellows, fellows, um, I want to talk to you today about... Well, there's been a bit of a ding-dong going on. You may remember last month, Google security researchers, the security wonks at Project Zero, they warned of a hacking group that had made a sustained effort to hack the users of iPhones. Cybersecurity experts at Google discovered a plot to hack a massive number of iPhones over a two-year period. Researchers found a group of hacked websites that exploited vulnerabilities in Apple software that would have given hackers access to users' contacts, photos, and location data. And Google says that the group that were behind this were there for about two years, a minimum of two years, they believe. And we just don't know what the scope of it is at this stage. But what's quite scary is how we're only finding about it now. Now, in what could be one of the biggest attacks on iPhone users ever, Google has warned malicious hackers have been monitoring data of iPhone users for years without being discovered. We don't know who did it, what they took, or who was infected. But for two years, this attack had the potential to take, well everything so google they thought it was right to warn people warn iphone users about this because it'd be really bad if some organization knew what you were doing on your phones what websites you were visiting who you were chatting to uh, you know, 
all that information, if that ended up in someone else's hands... Oh, that- really? Google would have a problem with that. Right, okay. <laughs> exactly. Is that, is that... Okay. Yeah, no, no. You're right. Absolutely. That's, that's right. I mean, Google would say, hey, that's our job, right? Hands off, right? That's for us to collect, not for some state intelligence agency to gather instead. But seriously, according to Google, the unnamed hacked sites received thousands of visits per week. So it's no wonder the media went crazy about it. Everyone was talking about new iPhone hacking danger. So Apple released a rather snotty statement, uh, which really (laughs) made them sound rather pissed off with Google. Um, They said, first of all, you know, Google's post, which was issued six months after we patched iOS against this problem, creates the false impression of mass exploitation to monitor the private activities of entire populations in real time. And Apple even said that Google was stoking fear amongst all iPhone users that their devices had been compromised. This was never the case, said Apple. I don't think that's an unfair statement from their point of view. But I also understand from Google's point of view, whose researchers found these vulnerabilities, right? They Mm -hmm. want to get their 15 minutes of fame. And they waited for those patches to be put in place. And then they want to do a little tap dance, say, hey, we found this. We helped. Well, I think... Apple shouldn't be kicking them in the shins for that. Like I said, I think Apple's being a little bit snotty here. And they're response perhaps isn't great. Apple went on, they said the attack affected fewer than a dozen websites that focused on information related to the Uyghur Muslim community. Now, they're a group of people, if people don't know, uh, in East Turkestan. That's a province which was occupied by China back in the late 1940s and is still occupied by China. And They obviously feel persecuted by China uh, about their religion. They're obviously not very keen about China still occupying their country 60 years on. Now, Apple went on. They said, all evidence indicates that these websites attack were only operational for a brief period, roughly two months. Not, they said, two years, as Google implied. So there's quite a big disagreement here, isn't there, between Apple and Google? They're the two big boys and they're having a little bit of a beef, really. I just think that, you know, Apple's trying to set up a bit of a straw man by saying not all iPhone owners were hacked, mm. which is not really what Google was saying in the first place. They were talking about a highly targeted attack and to say, oh, it wasn't two years, it was only two months or whatever. Neither of them are, can be trusted because they're both arch rivals in the very marketplace are discussing the security risks existing. That's the problem. I think that's part of the problem. And when I compared what Apple said in their statement to Google's original blog post, Apple does appear to take some statements from Google's blog post. And it's almost as though they've recharacterized them because you certainly can read Google's blog post to suggest that they're not saying these websites were hacked for two years that they're saying that the group who were behind the hack may have been exploiting a variety of vulnerabilities for the last two years instead. Okay, but we can totally imagine that some journalists misinterpreted what Google said in a way that made Apple look bad and Apple retaliated based on that misinterpretation. Absolutely. Like it happens I, all the time, right? I think fundamentally Google hyped this up a bit and Apple tried to play it down a bit. And By the making truth, noise. The truth <laughs> may be you know, somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, neither of them really come out of this uh, smelling of roses. Now, uh, another thing which I thought was, if you were, for instance, the Chinese government and you wanted to monitor the Uyghur Muslim community, would you really target iPhones? In China, Android has about 77% of the mobile and tablet market share. iOS, only around about one in five. 
<laughs> mobile owners are using that. So it doesn't really make sense to only target iOS. Chances are that there are also attacks going on right now against Android devices in that community too. Right. Yeah. And we know from past research that iPhone users tend to patch their devices more frequently than Android users. You know, sometimes it's quite hard to get an update for Android, isn't it? That's true. Often you're very dependent upon the carriers or, or the manufacturer in order to get an update for Android. And so it, it can be more difficult to do. Whereas because Apple owned the whole infrastructure, it's easier to push out the updates to them. So I think mm. when we look at this case, Apple and Google both screwed up. Google initially in their blog should have shared more details of what had actually been seen and who had been targeted to reduce the chances of media hysteria. And sure, you know, the fact that it was being used against uh, Uyghur Muslims doesn't mean it can't be used against anyone else. But even so, they should perhaps have said, this is the community that has been targeted. We haven't seen it anywhere else. But of course, the media just went crazy because they just saw iPhone vulnerability. But I think there's also this real problem. And I don't know if you've encountered this as well, John, this really curious situation where Google are regularly reporting on vulnerabilities in the products of their biggest competitor. Yes, that is the uh, one of the questions I had from what you've been saying, Graham, which is, did Google privately disclose this to Apple? I mean, what, what is its motives in putting together this research? So Google did tell Apple, and mm. Apple patched it about 10 days later, and that was months and months ago, but they've now gone public, and that's what created this latest media storm, even though anyone who's kept up to date with iOS is protected from these vulnerabilities. So what you're saying, there was a responsible disclosure, Apple did the right thing and made put the patches in place rather than ignore it or put their head in the stand like an ostrich, and then Google went out and tap danced and said, hey, we helped fix this, and Apple, be better. Yes. But, you know, there's so many shades of grey in between this, isn't there? Because suddenly Google... How many? About 50? Google did... <laughs> suddenly Google, <laughs> Google did uh, produce some very technical blog posts with all kinds of details. You know, they, they do do excellent research. And you, you can argue that Apple should have found its own vulnerabilities in the first place, right? It shouldn't have to rely or wait for a competitor to do it on their own dime. No, 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 no. Yeah, that happens crazy. all the time that um, a problem is discovered by a third party. And um, Well, yeah, it does. You know how you know always point out my flaws all the time, Graham? <laughs> Right. And like, I don't see them, but you're very, very hyper aware and you see them and you call them And out. it's a better world because of that, Carol. Yes, if no right, one ever mentioned my, these things, exactly. we'd never progress, would we? Thank we'd never God get for you. So, yeah, I agree. Thank anyway, God I, for both of you. Good grief. <laughs> I'm having to mediate already, listeners. <laughs> Anyway, I think Apple could have been politer. They could have thanked Google, even if it had been through More gritted polite. teeth. They didn't thank them for finding the vulnerability. They, sh I, In an ideal world, they wouldn't have had the bug in the first place. And I think also they could have expressed a bit of grumpiness towards China for targeting the Uyghurs. Um, you know, it, so that doesn't I don't know, that sounds a bit odd, what? targeting the Uyghurs. <laughs> It just does. You know what I'm saying? It's just well, it's a, it's a strange after the word. Tibetans, if that makes you feel any better. Yeah. Carol. Did you look up how to say it properly? Goodness, yes, multiple times. <laughs> and no one agreed. So I hope I've got it right. <laughs> so you chose right. the most... So you ch okay, great. Look, I... I <laughs> great. I think Apple could have done more to bash China for doing this kind of thing. So, But if you have to wonder, you know, that... 
Apple doesn't want to rock the boat when it comes to China either, because that's obviously a huge market for them. And maybe they don't want to be too outspoken about this. Anyway, I don't know. I do think there's a little bit of willy waving going on on both sides between Apple and Google. And I'm not sure we all benefit because of it. I think if someone else finds a vulnerability in your software, even though you may be grumpy about how they've expressed it, you should at the very least say thank you for fixing this vulnerability and making our software more secure for our users. Now, maybe Google, you can go and look at some of your own software and try and fix some of the bugs in that as well. Mm -hmm. I'm just really saying, can't all these tech companies get along with each other? Wouldn't that be marvellous? It would be great. When we had problems in the 1980s, Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney sat down at a piano and played Ebony and Ivory, and we've not had any trouble. Oh, good. Let's bring since. race into this. I'm just good. saying, if it was possible well, to fix race that is problem. already in it. That's the whole issue with Han Chinese and Uyghurs. <laughs> yes. Good. Well good. spotted. Thank you for giving Ebony credibility. And Caroli. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> together on our podcast. Okay. Please John, what's your topic for us this week? Okay, I'm going to change the subject entirely. I want to talk about a emerging internet technology, which we're all going to be hearing a bit more of over time, and it's called DNS over HTTPS, or duh, or doh. <laughs> DNS is the technology that's used to resolve the names of websites that people understand, like google.com or smashing security to numbers that computers and routers can understand. Mm. And it's a vital technology that is used by web browsers to allow people to surf the web, but also to allow email to be properly directed. Right. So what's coming along is Doe, which is nothing to do with Homer Simpson's famous catchphrase. <laughs> I was or, waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. Neither. And I was John, waiting John, for you are to we, say this. Are we, are we really being expected to call it Doe? Is that is? Do you know what the official pronunciation <laughs> well, is? Because we don't say "hutups" instead of "https," do we? So I'm just wondering: is, is it really expected that we have to call it "do" rather than "doh" or something? Well, I, 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 I argue that as, <laughs> as a name, I mean, there is no accepted pronunciation. So why not just go for the funniest possible one and have a Fair joke point. about it? Fair point. Yep. <laughs> okay. So "do," as I'm going to call it, at least. Neither is it anything to do with baking bread, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although you might have been said that it's been proofing for a while. And I'll tell you why we can say that. Oh, this podcast is obsessed with bread baking. I can't believe it. Oh, yeah. Not Doctor Who or Chess or anything like that. You're right. <laughs> Those are normal. So, back to my story. <laughs> he's, like, he's like our dad. He's like our dad. Shut up, kids. Okay. So... I'm going to have to call it DNS over HTTPS. It's been available as an experimental opt-in feature for Mozilla's Firefox web browser since June last year. Now, what's happened was that last Friday, Mozilla said, we're going to make it the default selection, initially only to people in the US, from later this month, late September. And it's also saying that surfers can choose to opt out of it. Now, what does it do? Yes, I was about to say... Can you explain yeah, well, what it does? How do you pronounce? We've got we've got into how do you pronounce it and Homer Simpson or whatever. Yes, like, the most important stuff. Yeah, <laughs> let's of find out what it does. Yes, you have to make the jokes before you get to the meat and bread of the topic. Okay. Yeah, Graham, calm down. God, cheer up. <laughs> so DNS over HTTPS, <laughs> it hides DNS queries inside 
regular HTTPS encrypted traffic. So that makes it difficult for third parties to even manipulate this traffic, which, as I said before, redirects people around the web, yeah. or to snoop on users. Right, gotcha. Okay. So if you don't have this in place, it's possible for someone naughty to intercept your DNS request and see what sort of websites your computer is looking up. Yeah, exactly. And the most obvious party that would see what you're looking at would be an ISP. Right. Yeah, the service provider. And they're actually one group that was none too happy about this technology. In fact, this summer, the UK's Internet Service Provider Association went so far as to nominate Mozilla as an internet villain because of its support for DNS over HTTPS. Really? The ISP was upset because it argued that uh, the technology would impede default filtering of adult content and mandatory court-ordered filtering of copyright violations. Okay, so basically, Mozilla is saying, hey, we will help keep everything you want to do private. Yes. And the Internet Service Providers Association, or ISPA, were like, whoa, 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 how are we supposed to filter for porn and things like that? Like, exactly. you're making our job so much more difficult. Okay, gotcha. I'm with you. Carry I, on. And I guess some of these ISPs may charge people more money um, to filter out adult content. Ha, or or maybe to filter smart. out non-adult content. So you only mm-hmm. get a pure 100% filth feed. I don't know what they offer, but, you know, something like that. But, but yes. I wouldn't even be surprised. I'm sure that's true. <laughs> Isn't that sad? I'm sure you're right. I don't want any clean websites. I just want the really mucky ones. <laughs> <laughs> don't waste my time. with the, Anyway, sorry. Please carry on before I dig this ditch even deeper. So this provoked a bit of a backlash. Because the internet security community, by and large, sees uh, HTTP, DNS over HTTPS as something that boosts privacy yeah. and is also good for security. Yeah. So they said, guys, where, what are you coming from describing Mozilla as an internet villain? You know, this is <laughs> a David Blunkett and all the rest of it, these kind of people. <laughs> Uh, are normally put in this category of internet villain. And here you are putting Mozilla in this for back in this technology, which everybody thinks is, you know, on the balance of things, quite good. I don't think anyone is suggesting that David Blunkett, the former uh, MP... Former Home Secretary. Who, of course, is blind. Yes, former Home Secretary in the UK. I don't think anyone's suggesting that he's going to visit porn websites or anything like that. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Did they have them in Braille? (laughs) So, so, so what, so what, what, what are other people's beef with this? Is there any sort of downside to encrypting DNS? One thing to say about it is that if, uh, DNS is encrypted as a standard. It would mean all the traffic would go straight to a central server under the control of Mozilla or Google or one of its peers rather than a locally held DNS name server. That means that a lot of control over search information and interactivity won't be completely hidden, but mm. you'll just be trusted to fewer people in the chain, and one of those people in the chain would be Google or, or Mozilla. So, right, and do we trust them? Do we feel comfortable having them all in charge of it? So, yes, yeah, so we're, we're gaining in some ways in privacy from this, but there are other potential pitfalls as well. I don't know. I, th- I feel overall I'd quite like to embrace dough. Mm. Feels like a, a step in the right direction. And You need it, Graham. You need dough. <laughs> <laughs> Carole, what's your topic for us this week? 
Well, this weekend, the hubs and I were looking after two little people. Oh, sweet. Sleepy and bashful. (laughs) No children, Graham. Now, this was at their new house, and uh, we had a crazy (laughs) weekend of gaming and eating and bopping around, and more on that later. But anyway, this morning, we're running around getting them ready for school, and we suddenly hear this AI voice say, sorry, I didn't quite catch that. And we had no idea that there was a device in the house. Oh, boy. Right? Because normally people keep them in their kitchens, in my experience. Or you, you see them in the kitchens and then you, you know to ask about them. I don't know. You just say, oh, okay, there is one. But anyway, I had no idea. And So you go to people's kitchens and they check out the, they've got a personal assistant. Yeah, I do. And do you say that I'm, I'm just checking to see if you've got a, a slow cooker <laughs> oven or something like this? No, I just say... And then you actually spy for, for one of these... Um, no, I just say that my type of conversation may depend on whether one of these devices is active. And I just don't want to bring it up unless I see one. All right. I think it's quite a sensible precaution. Thank you one very I've much. I've never thought of myself. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, it turns out it's not stupid because apparently, well, no, you guys guess. How many households do you think have a voice-controlled digital device? In the UK and the US, is about the same in proportion. I mean, they're getting more pop. maybe 5%, something like that. Mm. I think a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to go. have to go higher. I'm going to go 15 you're wrong. It's one in four, right? So 25%. Uh, 25%? You know, to think of how long they've been around, really, in my view, about a few years, I'd say less than five, right? Bloody And they hell. are now in one in four households in the UK and the US. What are people actually doing with these things? They're going, oh, you know, I want to buy something on Amazon, or I want to know what the weather is, or tell me the news, or play this song, or play this audiobook for my kid. Do you think people use them for about a week and then the thrill? No, th- people use them constantly. In really? my experience, with my in my Goodness. huge circle of friends <laughs> who <laughs> love these devices. Yes. Okay. Now we all know who the three market leaders are, right? Apple, Google, Amazon. Mm-hmm. While Amazon is definitely the market leader, and Apple is trailing behind, they all have different strengths and weaknesses. So one of the big issues that's coming up is these devices recording us when we don't want them to record us. And recently, The Guardian reported that Apple apologized for allowing workers to listen on Siri recordings. And this was all according to a whistleblower. The Guardian wrote, Apple contractors regularly hear confidential medical information, drug deals, and recordings of couples having sex... As part of their job providing quality control. That would just be mortifying. Or grading the company's Siri voice assistant. Imagine doing quality control over someone's sex recording. It's just, right? It turns out that Apple hired people to grade the quality and accuracy of the Siri requests. And these graders were getting access to some hot information not designed for their ears. Um, It is disturbing to think that you'd be getting the dirty on with your partner and a Siri-enabled device which was grading your performance. At least at least the contractor hearing it can't give you real-time feedback. Maybe they probably you know, can. They just they, uh, it's <laughs> pressing a big red button. Like it's a Don't big, mention the big yeah. red button, Crow. But the, the, <laughs> but, <laughs> you can imagine them saying left a bit, right a bit. There, there. You know. Tell us. Oh, for goodness sake, do you want me to come round and do it? Okay. How? Um, so, according to multiple former Siri graders, 
accidental activations were regularly sent for review. Right. And we know what these include. Illegal acts, Siri users having sex, la, 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 la. So this is when someone hasn't bit. said, okay, Google, do my command or Alexa or whatever. It's You know, it's really yeah. interesting because from what I read, it activates after you say those words. Right. But who can prove when you say those words? Right? Oh. Yeah. You love a conspiracy theory. I do. Don't you? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, I know. I'm going to be so fun when I'm 90. I'm going to be full of them. Okay. Um, and what they heard is moot, right? They could have heard someone preparing for an alien landing. They could have heard in someone indulging in a kink or eating too many pies. Whatever it was, they shouldn't have listened, right? Sometimes those things can be combined, Carol. But yes, okay. Let's carry on. Let's, let's now, keep it clean. Apple apologized and said it will no longer keep audio recordings of Siri users by default, which is a good thing. I think that's good that they've made that decision. Though it does hope that people will opt into sharing recordings with Apple to help improve the system. And as they are not market leader, I can understand that they want to get their skates on and use crowdsourcing to do it. Yeah, because if it's not the default, most people won't turn on that feature. And and from what I understand... Apple's. I'm freaking not turning it on. Apple's like, voice no offense, recognition no isn't. Me do my job. They're not as good at it, are they? As Google and well, Amazon, Siri's not quite okay, there. But their speaker is hand head over. What do you, how do you say? Head over heels. <laughs> what is it? Hand over fist. Hand over oh no, that's another sex. Hand over fist. Uh, what is it? Oh dear. <laughs> There's an idiom I want to use, but I don't remember what it is. But over. They're, they're no, like okay. so way, way better, the speakers on Apple, than on the others. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, okay. You've been in checking my, them out. In my, yeah, I checked them out at the John Lewis, uh, you know, shop. Oh, right. Okay. Checked them all out against <laughs> okay. each other. And right. I was a big fan of the Apple speakers. Oh, okay, fun. Hmm. Now, I know it sounds like I'm picking on Apple here, but they are defo not alone, right? All of them, Amazon, Apple, and Google have all been exposed for having humans review the audio recordings. Yes, yes. And, you know, mm-hmm. thank you whistleblowers for making people realize that, of course, that has to happen because the technology isn't in there yet. Some people would argue that it's a good thing that humans have to look after this stuff because it means the machines haven't taken control. <laughs> but um, people are trying to test whether or not these devices are actually making too many mistakes or recording or kind of sneaking recording, snarfling our secret information. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. And one of these tests was from Consumer Reports, and it involved four differently named Amazon speakers, which were each exposed to super talky TV show Gilmore Girls. And the results is that during the Gilmore Girls marathon, the speakers started recording snippets of dialogue 10 times without hearing the correct wake word. And during the audiobook test... 63 false positives happened in 21 hours. So doing the math there, is that a good result? That's like three an hour, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said the Golden Girls. Oh, how disappointing. No. I think the Golden Gilmore Girls would have been much, much better. I've never heard Actually, of the you Gilmore know what? Girls. Oh, it's really, I think you'd really love it, Graham. The Do softer you? side of you would love it, yeah. Not as and much as the Golden Girls. No, the Golden Girls is great. You're yeah. right. That is a classic. Yeah. She's still going, you know, Betty. Good for her. <laughs> now, they, the test showed that Amazon does delete the snippets once it realized the recording was happening in errors, uh-huh. they said. But I still find it a little bit kind of creepy. Or maybe it's just modern and I need to get with the times. It's hard for me to decide. And you guys are older than I am, so I don't think you guys can really help me on this one. Well, I, I wonder. Oh, <laughs> oh, good grief. Well, no, I... <laughs> I... 
I, I, I do question why people need these devices to. I can't understand what they actually do with them. I, I, I mean, I find it hard. To, I, I think okay. people just imagine buy them. you have a young, young baby. Yes. You're elbow deep in poop, and you realize that you really would love to listen to the latest cricket match. If you're elbow and you can just deep go, in poop, call Alexa, the fire brigade. Don't call Google. <laughs> now, stories that have like these, the ones that I've been sharing with you, but Amazon and Google and Apple yes. have sparked some legislation, including a a new bill introduced by a a Massachusetts rep, and it is called the Automatic Listening Exploitation Act. And it suggests that a company should be fined $40,000 for each recording made without a user's permission. Hang on a moment. Yeah. Okay. The Assistant Learning Exploitation Act. Automatic Listening. Automatic e- listening. <laughs> A-L-E-A. I see what it spells out. <laughs> I, I don't. E-X-A. A-L-E-X-A. Exploitation. I hate it when people do that. What? Am I it, sa- it says Alexa. That is what his bill is called. Oh, no. Aut- I didn't spot that at all. You're so clever. So, well, You're, he's back. Just so- You're back. You're back. You're so depressed earlier. Well Your done, Your crossword Clue. skills have come in. Yes. Yes. Now, there's a lot of problems with this bill, isn't there? Because one of the things he says in it is exceptions would be made if it was for service improvements, right? Oh. So, so you can just imagine that all the lobbyists for the big three yeah. will simply say that everything is, is for service improvement. Now, yeah. I'm laughing at this stage, but it I think this is one of the first bills on this point. So well done for getting it out of the door. Now, I don't think this is going to stand, but it's a step in the right direction because I do think we need legislation or legislators at least looking in this area and looking after the services that they're giving to their people that they're supposed to be mm. protecting. So there's a very serious endpoint. Oh, very good. Yes, oh, well, frown, uh, frown, and go. Yes, very intelligent. Yes, very. No, very, very, very good point, Carol. Very good point, and I'm I'm glad to have you woof, on the show. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> I think it's time for our sponsors. They'll be impressed by this sort of deep oh, yes, thinking, they won't they? Yeah, so very good, very good, very good. Hey, what's your password for your email? Do you even know it? I don't. I trust LastPass Enterprise to remember it for me because it's so long, so complex, and so unique. I couldn't possibly remember all my passwords for all my accounts. Let LastPass Enterprise do the hard work for you because they take security seriously and they're really responsive. Check out LastPass Enterprise at lastpass.com slash smashing. Recorded Future provides deep, detailed insight into emerging threats by automatically collecting and analysing billions of data points from the web. Every security team can benefit from that kind of threat intelligence. Grab yourself a copy of Recorded Future's free handbook, which explains why threat intelligence is an essential part of every organization's defense against the latest cyber attacks. Go and get it at smashingsecurity.com slash intelligence. And thanks to Recorded Future for supporting the show. Meta Compliance, the security e-learning experts, make learning best practice engaging and fun. Through stories, realistic scenarios, the Meta Compliance guys provide animated e-learning and even games like fishing drills to test your knowledge. 
Plus, these guys get passwords, they get GDPR, they get security, and they've won awards for security awareness. Smashing Security listeners, you guys can get 10% off by visiting smashingsecurity.com slash metacompliance and entering the code SMASHING. That's smashingsecurity.com slash metacompliance. And welcome back. And you join us on our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessary. Better not be. And my Pick of the Week is not security-related this week. It is an app. Now, do you remember a few weeks ago we had as a guest... Mr. Jack Resider from the Darknet Diaries yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. How and I there forget? he was. He I was... got a new mouse because of him. So well, I mean, oh, interesting. Did you? Because there he was crowing about his mouse. So you've actually got that mouse. No, you, I used my touchpad. I didn't get one of those, but I, I oh, took I it on the chin that I was making too much noise. Oh, okay. Okay. I see. So he was crowing about his mouse and saying how wonderful it was and how it could do all these incredible things. And I, I felt a little bit of pang of jealousy and I thought, I wish my mouse could do all these things. Uh, but I didn't want to go and buy a new mouse because I quite like my existing mouse apart from that. So I found a tool. I found a fantastic tool called Better Touch Tool, which I am able to run on the Mac operating system. Okay. And I'll put a link in the show notes. And Crawl, you might be interested in this yeah, because yeah, yeah, you have see. you have one of those MacBooks which has a touch bar, don't you? Yes. And do you ever think, oh, I wish I still had a physical escape key? No, I wish I had my old MacBook, which I loved. Well, with Better Touch Tool, you can not only reprogram just about everything on your mouse, you can also reprogram your keyboard, you can reprogram your touch bar and your touchpad to do all manner of things. So I've got... I've got ways now. I've got like a hyper key on my keyboard. So it's like the equivalent of a different like command or alt key. I can get it to run different commands. I can press a button on my mouse and it can do screenshots and automatically import it into graphics software for editing. It's um, cool. It is very, very cool and very powerful. The people who seem to particularly like it are people who have uh, re-engineered their touch bar on the MacBook. I don't have one of those types of MacBooks, I'm pleased to say. Mm. But um, it does look like you're able to make your Mac a real power Mac, if you want to reuse that term. I would love someone to do that for me and then explain how everything worked and then made sure I memorized it all. And then the called me once a week to make sure I still memorized it correctly. Well, there are some very, very cool apps out there, Carol, and uh, maybe at some time we should uh, well, we should discuss some of the things. That's what friends are, are for. Yeah, that's exactly. what I've been told. That's yeah. what friends are for. Anyway, so that is my pick of the week, the Better Touch tool, and very cool it is too. Cool. I'll check it out. Yeah. John, what's your pick of the week? Well, my pick of the week is a podcast, a podcast about All technology. Right. And it's a podcast in which a uh, an industry veteran with a mm-hmm. somewhat curmudgeonly attitude uh, co-hosts the show <laughs> with a much more articulate, charming, witty Canadian female co-host. Oh. Now, no. this is not a meta-reference to Smashing Security. Well, I realised it wasn't Smashing Security when you described the co-host. But anyway, let's carry it. What? See, it's outrageous. <laughs> What do you talk? What podcast is? Is this a rival to Smashing Security, John? It's a complimentary podcast, Graham. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Uh. okay. So I'm talking about Swigcast. It's a new cybersecurity podcast, and we're look, taking a deep 
in-depth look at infosec topics. Hang on a moment. Who are the hosts? Hang John. On. It's it's myself. Um, I oh, at the Daily Swig. Uh, Two weeks running. Uh, yeah. We've had guests shamelessly. We, we plug opened Pandora's box, <laughs> their haven't own we? Podcast. It was my fault. Good for you, John. Good for you. You okay. work hard on your podcast. Good. Mention you would it. Never, you would never hear any self-promotion by, by, <laughs> by the, any of the co-hosts of Smashing Security. <laughs> right no we, we would never stoop to this level so john the swig cast this is a podcast where you sort of look at a different topic each episode don't you rather than the sort of rubbish look back at the week's news that we do yep we've we've had uh two so far and we're, we I'll, I'll exclusively reveal the, the contents of the third one in a moment Ooh. the first two were we we looked at uh, hacker culture the representation of hackers in in the media and uh, what effect that that has on on recruitment and so on and so forth. And cool. the second uh, episode, we we looked at the encryption policy and we had an interview with Bruce Schneier about that. Oh, lardy da, you had Bruce well, on. I can, yeah, I can say I've known uh, John Layden for a long time, and the one thing I can say about John is you ask good questions. Oh yeah, and sometimes yeah. I was on the bad side of those questions. Yes, and they that's were, we were hard. Sometimes. So I think it's great that you're doing a podcast. Always, Welcome to the club. He's always been fair, but he's probing, isn't he? You can't get much past him. It was sometimes that laden chap. Fair. Gosh, I, I, I must blush. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I wouldn't all, say. All the, I wouldn't I say, always say fair. All the, all, all the all the best questions on this particular podcast go with my co-host Catherine Chapman on for the day, also of the Daily Swig. So. And sh- and she's Canadian as well, is she? She is Canadian. What's is it with these Canadians? Wow. There's two women two, that are Canadian. Two women that Whoa. are Canadian. Extraordinary. And Joni yeah, Mitchell watch is out. We're coming to Avril get you. Avril Lavigne, does she do a security <laughs> podcast too? Well, yeah. Taylor Swift does one, though. I'm getting confused now. <laughs> So the Swigcast is available in all good podcast apps, I imagine. Yeah, and there's upcoming one will look at the serious issue of cybercrime legislation and policy. Cool. Wonderful. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Carol, what's your pick of the week? Very unsecurity related. Good. Excellent. Did I mention I was babysitting this weekend? Uh, You may have meant once or twice. (laughs) Well, okay. So these kids come over to my house pretty regularly, right? Mm -hmm. And we are not au fait with the consoles and all the latest gizmos. But somehow we have introduced them to our old Wii and made it look like a collector's item. And they love the Wii, right? Ah. So when we were going over to babysit, we collected all our Wii games. And I even went up to your house, didn't I, Mr. Cluley, to pick up some old games and stuff from you. We ransacked some controllers and old games from my house. Yeah, you know what? Thanks for going to seek them out because I know you have all the latest consoles, but you went (laughs) for me and I'm grateful. Now, um, I know... Everyone goes on and on about how the sexy new consoles are and the flashy-ass games. But my pick of the week brings us to the Wii. 2006, the Wii console was released. And it is, it was and still is awesome. We played uh, Just Dance. And we played some Zelda. And it was excellent. No Wii Sports. I remember the Wii Sports. Yeah, Wii Sports. Exactly. We did sword fighting. Oh, the tennis was fantastic. The tennis was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, my favourite that we did on Dance 4, I think it was just Dance 4, we, I, I did about five times, Rock Lobster by B-52s. Seriously, wow. the Great best. song it, as well. Yes, it is the best animated exercise class ever. We did a 10-minute jobby of it. I was sweating bullets. It was excellent. 
So dig out your Wii's people, dust off your old consoles, and relive some of the early naughties. Because it's fun. It's really fun. And you actually get off your ASS, which is, you know, a lot of us need to do. So there. I think that's a terrific pick of the week. Thank you. It's a great game. It's great. It reminded me of how much fun I had with it. I'm going to organize a Wii party soon. It's going to be a retro, but it's good. Awesome. Sounds cool. You might get invites, guys. I'll let you know. (laughs) Well, on that bombshell, I think we've just about (laughs) wrapped it up for this week. John, I'm sure lots of fellows would like to follow you online. What's the best way to find out what you're up to? Right, so these days I write regularly for the Daily Swig, which is a a cybersecurity news site created by Port Swigger, which people will know, the makers of Burt Suite. But if you want me to chat uh, sports or security, then I'm also available on Twitter, at jlayden. And you can find us on Twitter as well, at smashinsecurity, no G, Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And maybe you might want to support us on Patreon if you want to support the show. Just go to patreon.com slash smashinsecurity with a G and uh, we've got different tiers and goodies to offer you up there once again thanks to this week's Smash and Scary sponsors Recorded Future Meta Compliance and LastPass their amazing support helps us give you this show for free and thanks to you super duper people who listen week in and week out check out smashandscary.com for past episodes sponsorship details and info on how to get in touch with us until next time cheerio bye 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 Totally great pick of the week, Garrel. Thanks! It's so fun. Seriously, it's so worth the money. Cluely and Caroly Making a podcast together Harmoniously Choosing picks of the week which and security related necessarily ha, ha, ha.